last series, I, I kept um, having a memory that came uh, to mind. And um, you guys remember when you're kids, if you have kids, like when they're first like almost ready to speak and mom and dad are like competing for first word, right? You're like trying to like get, I was trying to get Moses, my son, to say dad and Tara was trying to get him to say mom. And so we would go back and forth and every time we had our baby, I would just be like, daddy, daddy, daddy. And Tara would be like, mommy, mommy. And uh, guess what his first word was? Ball. <laughs> Right? Neither of us won that. Terry used to have this, uh, this exercise ball that was uh, the big Pilates type of ball that she would do like exercise on. So she would sit on it, roll on it, lean on it, do all of this stuff. And every time Moses came down and saw that thing, he was just absolutely in awe. And he would scream from the top of his lung, ball? ball ball like every time that he saw that thing which was absolutely adorable I finally got him to say daddy before mommy it was great so I won that battle but um, it was super cute until we went to a Walmart and we were going through and he was riding in the cart and you know those cages right that are filled with those rubber balls that are inside of them we turned the corner and both Tara and I could look at Moses's face and we could see what's going on like he sees this giant container right just filled with balls inside of him and he looks and he's like he's like he stumbled upon the holy grail and from the top of his lungs in the store he just starts screaming ball 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 and we're like going around for 45 minutes trying to do our shopping with Moses screaming from the top of his lung ball he was just amazed and here's why I tell you that story is because the human every human is wired with the capacity for awe, aren't we? We're just wired. Every one of us has this capacity to be awed by stuff, to have our affections captured, to have our attentions arrested. When we see something that we're amazed by, something that's either beautiful or something that's wise or something that's, that, that, that's bigger than what we understand, we just have hardwired into us a capacity for awe. And we know that in the beginning, when, when God creates, he, he, he creates things for his creation to enjoy, right? When he created man and woman, he created them so that they would enjoy his creation, right? Everything that God made was meant so that we would delight in him, right? In some way, shape, or form, his creation is always meant to point us to his beauty, to his wisdom, to his majesty, to his goodness, to his perfection, and we're, we're, we're created to be in awe of God, but we know that both sin and circumstances oftentimes eclipse our view of God, doesn't it? Right? What, what is meant to lift our eyes upward towards God and outwards towards others is bent inward on self, and oftentimes our senses become dull and our affections become distracted and that's the human condition. And so we're going to spend this next month knowing, right, that, that, that life tends to rob us from awesomeness. It tends to rob us from the glory of God, from us being able to see him as he wants to be seen in the world that we live in. So we're going to spend the month of February just gazing into the beauty of God. And we're going to look at three things. One, we're going to look at the majesty of God. 
And then next week, we're going to look at the mystery of God. And then the third week, we're going to look at the mission of God. And all of it is meant to put us in awe, to capture our affections and arrest our attention so that we would see God for who he really is. So open your Bibles to Colossians 1. We're going to start with the mystery of God. But before we do, let me pray as we dive into this beautiful passage. Father, God, we ask that you would capture our affections today. God, that we would see you as you really are. God, that we'd be captivated by your beauty. That we'd be comforted by your love. That we would see your presence among us. God, that our eyes would be awakened and God, our souls would be quick to acknowledge you and know you and see you and recognize you in the world we live in. Love you in Christ's name, amen. So we're gonna be in Colossians chapter one, verses 15 through 20. And I, I picked this passage for a reason. And, and, and one is because Paul is writing this passage to a young church that's trying to figure out how to live life with God in a very pluralistic society. Right? There's, there's a lot of things going on in the world during the time that Paul's writing it that people could have their attention to. Right? They have um, uh, dozens and dozens of gods that they can choose to worship, right? Things like, uh, you know, uh, Aphrodite or Vulcan or Bacchus. Like, you, there's all these different gods that they could worship. And you're like, well, David, we don't live in a world of the gods. But listen, each one of those gods represented something that's real. Right? Aphrodite was the god of love, and they had the god of wisdom, and they had the, the, the god of, of prosperity, and they had the god of, of farming and agriculture. They had the god of war, right? We have all those same gods today. We're just too embarrassed to give them names, right? That's the only difference between them and them. And so the church is trying to figure out, man, how do we live life with God in a pluralistic world? And so Paul is addressing the church and he writes this beautiful passage of scripture that's actually a song. It's actually a hymn. It's not just stoic words or history that he writes down. As he's addressing the church, he writes this beautiful song. And I think it's important for us to know that. And the reason why is because Paul doesn't want to just speak to our intellect, but he wants to capture our hearts, right? He wants to present something about God that is beautiful in a beautiful form. And it's also something that's not just to be intellectually memorized, but something that's meant to be sung in our hearts. How many times do we leave the gathering and we sing the message? Probably never, right? You probably weren't walking down the street going, you know, formed by God together for the sake of others, right? You probably weren't doing that, right? But you, you walk out of here singing the songs, right? To, when we talk about God's glory, we sing these songs. And Paul wants to give us a passage of scripture that we can carry with us. And as I was looking at this passage, I was reminded of Psalm 34, 8, which is this. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And here's what the psalmist is doing. The psalmist is making sure that we don't treat God as some just academic pursuit or an intellectual ascent, that we make sure we realize that we have a God that we can actually taste and see, that we can be in relationship with. He is tangible and, and, and experiential and that we can actually see his beauty and see him at work in the very material things in the world around us. 
And so Paul wants us to taste and see the glory of God in the earth. And so he sings a song to the church that speaks to the supreme majesty of Jesus in a world that's inundated with idolatry. And he, he writes a hymn whose hero is Jesus in a nation of narcissists. Right? And that's where we are today, and we need this song today as much as any other day in history. And so can we look at this song together? Let's just get into a posture of worship and, and listen to the beauty of this hymn. Talking about Jesus, Paul says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. See, that's a song about a big God, isn't it? And, and, and Paul knows that, that, that God never meant to just be in the background of our lives. That, that, that it's not a song about a God who is merely just uh, in our peripheral vision or the background of lives, but it's a song about a God who we are meant to um, um, live in him and move in him, and we have our very being in him. He is our past and our present, and God is our future. He's, he, he's all around us. Jesus is the supreme majestic king over all the world, and he's the supreme majestic king over this community, and he's the supreme and majestic being over your individual life. And it's easy to sing a song, but if we're honest, it's hard to live that reality out, isn't it? It is. I, I love Tish Harrison Warren. She confesses in her book, Liturgy to the Ordinary, she says this. Sorry, I did not take you through those passages, but I will take you through this. Passage. We're going to reflect on it at the end. So she says this I have a theology of suffering that allowed me to pay attention to God in crisis, to seek small flickers of mercy in profound darkness, but my theology was too big to touch a typical day in my life. I developed a habit of ignoring God in the midst of the daily grind. You see what she's saying? She's saying that, that she, she understood conceptually that God was um, supreme, that he was majestic, that he was over all things, that he was sovereign, right? We use these like churchy words, just sovereign, that he's over everything. But her theology was too big to allow him to touch or, or to experience him in just the everyday stuff of life. And it's easy to do that. It's hard to hang on to God, to see God as our all in all, as our everything. And as I was thinking about this, I, I, was, I was thinking about like, 
I think we fall into two two categories, right? I think I think our affections for God, our our ability to see God as high and lifted up and majestic over all things and beautiful in all seasons and good at all times, our ability to see God in everything is dulled. Right? Sometimes it's just dulled. I had COVID recently, and one of the strangest experiences is when you lose your taste and smell. And my favorite thing in the world is coffee. And every morning I would get up and I would go through my ritual of pour overs, right? And, And go through the motions and I would sit down with my cup of coffee, knowing how much I love coffee. And I would take a sip of it and there was nothing. Isn't our relationship with God sometimes like that? Right? We know he's good. We know he's present. We, we know he's beautiful. And we sit down and we open up our Bibles and we go through the motions of it and it's just dulled. But on the other side of it, and they might be related to one another, sometimes we're just distracted from the glory of God in the everyday stuff of life, right? I remember when, I first, when we first moved to uh, northern Nevada, we were right on the border of, of the California-Nevada border, right in the foothills of Lake Tahoe, and we bought our first house there, and it had this giant, like, picture window, and facing out was this coveted view of this place called Job's Peak, okay? Think of the, the heavenly, the backside of heavenly, the ski resort, and we would look, and when we first moved into that house, Tara and I would just sit there and just gaze out that picture window, and then Things at work started to get busy. I had less time to sit and gaze. And we started a backyard project. And so I spent more time in the backyard. And over time, I was just distracted from the beauty. And I stopped gazing at the beauty of Job's Peak. But it never stopped being Job's Peak. It never stopped being beautiful. It, it never lost its magnificence or beauty. It just got drowned out by other things I needed to attend to. Because we're shaped by whatever we attend to. And maybe those two things are related, right? Maybe maybe the distractions in our lives actually dull us to the beauty and the perfection of God. And I want us just to take a minute between those two and just reflect for a minute. Where do you find yourself? Do you find yourself dulled? Or do you find yourself maybe distracted? With, with too much stuff going on, an over-busy life, a crowded life that the majesty of God is, there's no room for. Just take a minute and reflect, where are you in that? See, Paul knows that we need our senses awakened and our affections renewed. We need a God who is exceedingly more majestic and beautiful and loving and life-giving than the lesser gods of our culture. We need a God that we can taste and see. And so he sings us this song and, and he points us to places. He helps us to look to the right places where the majesty of God is on display. And there's, there's three things that I want to look at as, as we look at this beautiful song. And those three things are making room for the majesty of God as we look and gaze at the God of creation, the God of history, 
and the God of salvation. And we looked at it, and the reason we, we call it majesty is because majesty is a term that's related to uh, like authority, right? Kings would, would, would be referred as to, to, to their majesty or your majesty, but majesty is more than just authority. It's more than just God is sovereign over all things or has authority over all things at the world. Attached to the word majesty is actually beauty and worthiness. It's true that God is over all things, but he's also beautiful and he's deserving. He's worthy of his position as the majestic king over all things. And so we're gonna look at these three things and, and just go through them one by one. The first thing that we're gonna see is the God of creation. Every day we wake up into a theater of God's majesty. Every day. There, there, there's a Psalm that in Psalm 19, it says the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech and night after night, they reveal knowledge. And, and the psalmist is recognizing that God is present among us, that he's screaming and, and beaming with beauty all around us. If we would just take notice, right? He's, he's pouring out speech. He's gushing with love and grace and mercy and presence in in our lives. Every day we wake up into a theater of God's majesty. The other day I was in line uh, dropping uh, or picking up Moses at school and Kaylee Ann was um, in line as well and I thought she like saw me in the rearview mirror and so like I did this like big wave right and then she like I'm sitting here like raising my hands waving my hands like waving at her and she didn't see me right her, her head would just like look down or whatever but someone over here like in another car like caught the whole thing and I felt like an idiot you ever have that moment like where you're in a crowded room and you do and I feel like that's a psalm right like like everything around us God's just like I'm here I'm here I'm beautiful like we have all of these beautiful things the stars come up every night every day the sun uh, rises and the sun sets every day we see God pouring forth speech as, as the trees and, and and creation is just screaming the glory and majesty majesty of God. Every aspect of our lives is connected to and a result of the God of creation. The material world is just beaming with God's majesty. And I, I love how God models for us in beginning, in the beginning of, of the creation story in Genesis, there's this cadence or this rhythm that we read. God forms and then fills and then delights, right? He forms the earth and then he fills it with good things and then he stands back and delights in it. He forms, fills, and delights over and over and over. We get the cadence of creation showing us that everything in creation is meant to be enjoyed, that God is not far off, that he's present. But we live in a disenchanted world. It's not true, Mike. Cosper said this, he said, um, we live in a disenchanted world and in disenchantment, we no longer live in a cosmos made by God. We live in a kind of just a universe, a cold, hostile place whose existence is a big accident where humanity is temporarily animated stuff that's ultimately meaningless and destined for the trash heap. That's the, that's the water we're all swimming in every day, right? 
And we have to go against the grain. And the truth is, is we don't wake up every morning into a cold universe. We wake up into a world that God made. A world that God formed and filled with good things. A world that God um, in, invited his image bearers to be involved in. And a world that God loves deeply and wholly. A world that God loves so much that he sent his son to take on flesh so that that world could be redeemed. So that we could be reawakened to the beauty that's all around us every day. Now... Oftentimes, when we think of seeing God in creation, we, we think of, like, going to these fantastic places, don't we? Like, going out and hiking Weaver's Needle, right? Getting out into creation or taking a drive or a family trip to the Grand Canyon or driving up to Sedona and seeing the Red Rocks, which is so beautiful. These things are amazing, and they're meant to capture our attentions, and they're meant to point us to the beauty and the magnificence and the creativity and the wisdom and the care of God all around us. Someone made that. It's beautiful. But we don't have to go away or out to see God in creation. Like seriously, like just look at your neighbor next to you right now. God made that person. I know that's awkward, like seriously, but God made you. Right? And, and think about the ingenuity that is all around us, the architecture and the creativity. And when you guys go into your homes and aesthetically uh, create aesthetically pleasing pay, places to enjoy, that's all a picture of the God of creation at work and present among us through his saints. It's around us every day. And we're, we're a people that are built for beauty. Right? We need beauty in our lives, and we need to stop and see. See, because beauty reassures us that the goodness of God is still real, doesn't it? When you see an art piece that just blows your mind or drops, drops your jaw, or you hear a song that just captures your affections, that's the God of creation at work among us. You see the wisdom of God in architecture. I was walking along the other day, taking my, my morning walk, and I was literally thanking God for gravity. You know how weird, how hard it would be to like go for a walk and enjoy things if we were just floating around and things were just floating around. And I was just thanking God, like, God, you are so wise that you created this planet perfectly. And you think about the, not just the plant, but the soil that it grows in. And not just the plant and the soil that grows in, but the, 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 the rain and the water that, 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 that gives it life. And the oxygen that it puts off so that we can breathe. We are swimming every day in the majesty of God. All of life, and especially the fully blessed eternal life of God, is power and energy and activity pulsing around us. When we stop seeing God as good and beautiful, as the active creator and sustainer of our world, we end up looking to something or someone else, and we're buried in mountains of disappointment. Look and see. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. 
whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And he is before and around and in and above all things. And he holds all things together. I want to just take a moment. How does that sit with you? Like, Seriously, we can have just a moment of discussion. Like when I, when I talk about the God of creation, what, what comes in mind? What does that stir up in you? How does that sit with you tonight? I think it makes me feel very aware of my surroundings. Like very mm. like aware of God's creation. Hmm. That's good. When you said it, I thought about... Uh, just the reality of how those moments that you just respond to, that there's not a, like, what do I do next with this? But the, the picture, when you were talking about, don't just look at the red rocks or all, I was, and uh, it just made me think of each of those snapshots are things that exist and I have a response to, but it's just like, it doesn't demand me to do anything just immediately next. Like mm. that response gazing in is what's drawn out and like that feeling of worship that's just beautiful, that's, uh, not prompted, not manipulated, but just there. Yeah, it blows beautiful. my mind. Yeah. Um, my attention was captured by a hummingbird that lives on one of our trees out front. And um, I just watch him every day fluttering around from flower to flower, and then he has a favorite branch that he rests on. Um, and when you sit and you don't just see the bird, you see the God who sustains the hummingbird, hmm. gives it its instincts and its way of life, and also takes the life when it's time. Um, it just makes me feel small, hmm. but there's so much beauty in knowing that God, the same God that sustains that little bird, sustains us. Yeah, so good. Um, something onto yours, like thanking God for gravity. Uh, I found myself at school, like thanking God that I have the money to go to school and stuff. Mm. I think that um, my attention is captured by every light, every flame, every plant that's just never noticed by many other people. Like the things that aren't always noticed but are still beautiful are the things that catch my attention. That's good. Yeah. And that's what Kevin said is the final part of this is the thing about beauty is it doesn't ask anything of you. Forming, filling, and delighting. See, our God is not asking something of you. He's sharing himself with you. He's giving himself away. See, the God of creation says, taste and see. I love, there's another part of this says, you don't, you don't even have to bring money to buy what 
I'm selling, right? To buy the food or to drink the milk, to taste and see the goodness of God. I'm giving it away for free. And the invitation of the God of creation is to taste and see the goodness of God in the world that we live in that requires nothing from you. Just see. The second place that Paul points us to is the God of history. I love what he says. He says, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, and, and, and he says this in, in what's called the, the present perfect tense, meaning he's, he's not just talking about what's going on in the Greco-Roman world of the first century, but he's talking about throughout all time. Jesus has been supreme over all time throughout all of history, that there has not been a throne or a power or a ruler or authority that God has not been over and worked in to make his promises happen. And that's actually why we uh, rehearse the true story. So if you go through and, and, and when we go from, from creation to new creation, when we go through all six acts, the purposes of, of rehearsing that story is so that we would be amazed of the God of history, that he's always been at work redeeming and moving his promises forward in his people. I'm, I'm going through every year I go, I read the Bible um, from, from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, and, and I'm always amazed when I get to um, uh, the, the, the end of Genesis and Exodus where God makes a promise, right, to a 70-year-old nomad that he is going to be the father of many nations, dude's 70 years old, can't, hasn't had any kids yet, and God's like, I'm going to fill the earth with your descendants, and then at 72, did he have a kid? No. Like 30 years later, right? Like, like 20, however many years later, right? He finally has one kid. And then it was through that child that three, child, three children were born. And then it's through the, 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 the third, or two children were born. And it's through the second child that, that 12 children are born. And then uh, the youngest of that 12, child, 12 children named Joseph gets sold into slavery in Egypt and, and becomes a prisoner of Pharaoh right? The, the, the most powerful ruler in that age and in that time. And over time, God works through one of Abraham's descendants so that he would actually be second in charge of all of Egypt. And then through that, he saved his people from a famine and gave them a safe place to go where they numbered almost a million underneath the rule and reign of Pharaoh. And then they got annoyed at the Israelites. And so they said the firstborns going, uh, all of them are going to be killed. One of them was named Moses. And the mother of Moses, like, put him in this little basket, floats him up to the river. And he just happens to get rescued out of the water by Pharaoh's daughter and is preserved. And it's through Moses that a million Israelites are set free from the oppressive reign of Pharaoh. You think God is the God of history? And then he used 
Rahab, a Canaanite prostitute to help give Israel victory over one of the meanest superpowers of the time. He used Ruth, who is a, 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 a Moabite widow, right? From a, it's a despised nation. And it's through this, uh, this Moabite, this despised person that the line of David, the promised one, continues. It's through another woman, Esther, who was an exile, who had the ear of a Babylonian king that saved Israel from in exile from getting decimated. And then God used Mary, an unwed teenager from an obscure town to birth Jesus, who grew up to be a man who lived for us and died for us and resurrected and ended up putting the Roman Empire to shame. And it was his 11 disciples that carried his message forward and built his church that continued throughout the ages. And it's all because of that one promise he made to one man thousands of years ago that you and I are sitting here today lifting our hands to the glory of God. He's the God of history. Like, do you realize, like, your past and your present and your future belong to him? There's no circumstance, there's no situation, there's no power, there's no authority that he's not over and end and that he's not working through in order to bring redemption to a close. He's doing what he said he's going to do. He's the God of history. And then the great song ends in this way. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. And it's through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. See, all of that creating and all of that power over history is so that you and I and all of creation can be liberated from the devastating effects of sin and that we can worship and have relationship with the majestic God over all creation and all history and all salvation so that we could be made new, so that we could be recreated and go on a journey of becoming fully human with God again, where we walk with him. See, I don't know if you know this, but when we talk about the God of salvation, like every day we wake up into the saving work of God. There, there's a truth. If, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you have been saved. That's a reality. You have been saved, right? God does not count our sins against us. There, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But every day you wake up into the saving work of God, right, where the Holy Spirit has been given to us and he's, he's healing wounds that we have in our hearts. And he's liberating us personally from the grip that sin has over our own lives, right? We wake up every day into a theater of God's majesty. We wake up every day in, into the reality of God's power. And listen, we wake up every day into the active saving grace of God in our own lives. He's the God of salvation. Every day we wake up into his divine love. Every day we wake up into the divine care of Jesus making us new. And all of it is so that we might know the breadth, length, and width of God's love for us. See, you're not just some pawn in God's divine work. You're not even a project 
God made you and loves you and throughout history has worked to save his whole creation so that we would be redeemed so that you and I can sit here and not just be called a divine project, but we could be called beloved children. The God of salvation is among us. See, all the places where God is meeting us in our wounds and all the places he's meeting us in our wrongdoings is because he loves us as children. And Paul points us to the saving grace of God. And so as we finish, I wanna, I wanna pray over us, but I wanna give us time where we can just reflect on this and, and, and here's the thing I want to invite you into. There's two things, ways that you can respond. One is you can just sit and you can reflect on the goodness of God in this passage. But two, wherever you're at, if your senses have been dulled or your heart is distracted and you feel like you need prayer, we're, we're going to have people. Kevin's going to be back there. We're going to have the Zins who are going to be back here. And, and I just, wherever you're at, just get up and, pr- and go pray. Have someone pray over you. The, the, the goodness of and the love of God over you. So I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to just take a moment to reflect and pray and then we'll come back to the Lord's table together. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for the wonderful ways that you reveal yourself, God. I thank you, God, that your majesty is is not about just your power or sovereignty, but it's about your beauty and your care. And God, I thank you that you're not far off. And I thank you that your invitation to us is to taste and see the goodness of God, that we might know your goodness in the land of the living. Would you speak to us and be with us and meet us in our time now? In Christ's name I pray, amen.